So I think we underrepresented our hand, which may have hurt our fold equity when we decided to shove the second time the betting uh, went around. But I do believe the time to shove it all in would have been the first opportunity, not the second. But I don't know that he made any mistakes there. I think he's, he's making a, a, a call with really good implied odds. We definitely have to just shove all in here, hope for the best with the flop if we get called. If we don't get called, just scoop up those chips. You're in the big blind with ace, king of hearts, and decide to call. No, definitely fold. Easy, easy fold pre-flop. When under the gun raises, and under the gun plus one three bets, unless these players are just the worst, ace, king is going to be either flipping or really, really dominated. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. Now, this week, in addition to our recreational contributors, who are Doug Behrens, Taylor Moss, Andy Kaplan, and Steve Olson, we will have input from Jonathan Little, one of the great players, one of the great guys, uh, and he is with PokerCoaching.com, among a number of other things. Quick announcements, as always, please uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment. All of this is super helpful as we grow. In fact, we had our biggest month in January. We continue to grow, and January of 2018 was our biggest month in terms of number of plays. So thank you to those of you who are uh, listening, sharing this, uh, telling your friends about it. We really appreciate that. It's just super fun to uh, continue to grow the community uh, of people that are learning more about the game and are contributing back. And, uh, and I think it's been a, a fantastic way to learn the game together. Uh, we're certainly not perfect, uh, certainly not a professional podcast, and certainly not a bunch of professionals leaving input. But I do think we're learning and, and uh, improving our game. And I see it in my own game, and I see it in the game of many of, of those of you who have shared your results with me. Uh, also, if you have other feedback, suggestions, hand situations, Email me at stevefredland at gmail.com or leave a comment on Facebook or Twitter. And also something new, uh, we just got a shipment in of patches, uh, the Rec Poker Podcast patches. And uh, I'm going to be wearing those at the tournaments that I play. And I would welcome you guys to to do that. If you are somebody who wants to wear a patch uh, and help me promote the Rec Poker Podcast and build our community, just let me know and I'll send you out a patch. So um, that would be fantastic. Now, today is the second of two hands that were submitted by Doug Behrens. Uh, and as always, like I always say, listen to the situation, listen to the responses, but really listen to the underwriting principles. There are some, some, some key framework ideas that people are using to make their decisions, and sometimes they can't communicate those directly, so it comes through in just the hand situations. So listen to the principle behind the principle, and you can see how different people are approaching the game and also maybe what works best for your game. So with that, we'll take a quick break to thank our sponsor, and then we'll come back with Doug Barron's setting up the situation and hear from the recreational players. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Okay, thank you, Running Aces. Now let's hear from Doug Behrens, who's setting up the situation that he encountered, and then you'll get my thoughts and thoughts from the other recreational players, Taylor Moss, Andy Kaplan, and Steve Olson. And then after that, we will hear from our expert, Jonathan Little. Hi, Steve. I thought I would submit two hands for comment from the rec poker crowd. Of course, I had my reasons for how I played each hand, but afterwards I wonder if I should have 
had a better decision framework. These hands are uh, from uh, day 1A of the uh, Aces Avalanche Tournament. The second hand begins uh, during level 7. Um, I have lost a lot of chips. I'm at 19,800. The average is somewhere around 32,000. Blinds are 50, 250, 500. Um, all the action will be pre-flop. I'm in the big blind with Ace of Hearts, King of Hearts, with uh, the 19,800. Um, the undergun opens to 2,000 uh, from a stack of about 35,000. Undergun plus one raises to 5,000. Um, the button calls. I call. The under the gun raises to 10,000. Under the gun uh, and plus one and the button call. I raise all in. Under the gun folds. Under the gun plus one calls and the button calls. Um, flop is 8, 9, 10 rainbow. Under the gun plus one shoves all in. The button calls. Um, under the gun plus one shows eight eight and the button shows six of hearts seven of hearts for the straight the turn um, is an ace and the river is jack uh, and the button wins a gargantuan pot uh, with a six of hearts seven of hearts um, I was short stacked um, it seemed like a time to get my chips in there I just wonder, should I thought this out differently? Okay, thank you, Doug, for submitting both of those hands last week and this week. Now, in this situation, we are starting the hand with about 40 big blinds. So we're not small stack, but we're certainly not super deep. Uh, we're just under 20,000 chips. And under the gun opens to four times the big blind, and under the gun plus one re-raises to about two and a half times that amount. So we have an open to 2,000 when the blinds are at, uh, at 250,500, so 4x, and then we have a re-raise to 5,000. Now, assuming that these are decent thinking players, our radar should immediately be up here. Um, this is in the Avalanche Tournament, $500 buy-in, so we could have a lot of tricky players, but still, I think we need to respect that under-the-gun raise. Uh, we need to give that respect, and then, if the under-the-gun plus one player is a thinking player and they re-raise, uh, we got to give them credit for a pretty good hand here, unless the under-the-gun player is somebody who has been opening folding too much, uh, or if they're a very loose player, uh, that sort of thing. So we have to kind of take into consideration the, the type of players we're dealing with here, which the information we don't have. But uh, without any other information, the under-the-gun raise and the under-the-gun plus one re-raise really uh, should tighten up our range significantly. So, uh, you know, the under the gun plus one, they're re-raising the under the gun raise and they still have eight players behind them. So I would give them credit for a pretty big hand here. Now the button calls, which uh, I think is super interesting. Uh, sort of the old adage is you need to have a better hand to call than to raise. So I'm not sure what they are calling with here. I suppose maybe some sort of a pair that they're trying to set mine. I mean, maybe suited connectors. Um, maybe pocket queens or jacks or even ace king that is too good to fold in their opinion but they don't want to raise so 
Uh, I'm not sure, but it's certainly a suspect to me. Now, um, I can probably rule at the top of their range. I think if they have aces or kings, they probably just ship it there or, or put it in a, a really big uh, four bet. Anyway, it comes around to us, uh, the small blindfolds, and we're in the big blind with ace-king suited. So this is kind of a tricky one, I think. You've got three players in. You've already got an under-the-gun raise, an under-the-gun plus one re-raise, and a button call. So whatever our action is, the under-the-gun player uh, has the option to open it again. So we don't have a chance here to close the action. So I, I guess I'm okay just calling here with ace-king suited to see what the original raiser does. Uh, there, there is a good chance that we're closing the action unless they re-raise, which is really going to narrow their range in my opinion. The, the 5k here is about 25% of my stack, so I don't really love it. And, and actually, I would probably seriously consider just shoving here. If I like my ace-king suited, if I want to play it, and frankly, if I'm going to play it, I kind of want to see all five cards. Um, I, I might be in shove or fold mode here with 40 big blinds. I don't hate the call because maybe we can see a flop, uh, save, save three quarters of our stack, and then you know decide what to do on the flop. So I probably, boy, if I think the under the gun and the under the gun plus one uh, folks are wider than knit type of range, like if, if they both could be on, you know, I don't know, sevens are better and ace jack, ace queen type hands, if those are in their range, I think I just shove my ace king suited, hope for the best, and if I get called, I'm hoping it's queens or jacks. Um, I think that's probably what I end up doing, but um, as played here, we just call, which which does underrepresent our hand for sure. It's hard to put us an ace king suited here, probably even though it's in the range. Anyway, uh, we we just call once the under the gun player four bets to 10k, which is sort of a scary bet. I mean, they they raised under the gun, they got re raised by the under the gun plus one, they got two calls behind them, and then they only raised 5k more. Um, I mean, again, what type of player is this? Is this an experienced player, inexperienced? This seems to me like, like pocket aces. Um, it, it just sort of does. Maybe kings. Um, because why are they only betting to 10K? The, there's an incredibly high likelihood they're going to get two, if not three, calls. And maybe even re-raise there. So why not, if they have a good but not perfect hand, why not just call, complete the action, and see a flop? So uh, anyway, they raised to 10K. The under-the-gun plus one both call. And now it comes back around to us. And now I'm getting pretty concerned about my hand. I've put in 25% of my stack. I've been It's been four bet and called twice. Now, if these guys are all maniacs, I can see then sh now shoving with my ace-king suited like Doug did for the final 15K or so. But, but I really don't expect them to fold. So am I okay with that? Uh, I don't have any fold equity in my opinion. Um, maybe against one or two players, but probably not much. Um, if I respect these players at all, I'd be extremely tempted to just fold here. I mean, I have ace high. Yes, I could hit, but I just don't know. I, and, and normally, I like the 30% rule, so if I'm putting another 5K out of my 15K, I'm putting in at least 30% of my chips, so I should put them all in. But in this particular case, I am closing the action now. I know that I'm going to be closing the action. It's another 5K into a pot that's around 36K. The way it played out, I would probably just call here with my ace-king suited. It's about a third of my remaining stack. I am willing to get the rest in, but I get to see a flop. And I would get it in if I had, if the flop had an ace or a king or two of my suit. Otherwise, I can just fold and preserve some of my stack. So as I look at it, I don't really love Doug's shove here. Um, 
I can see why he did it, honestly, but I don't really love it because no one is folding, in my opinion, and it's hard to believe that I'd be up against anything worse than my hand. I mean, I really don't expect people to wake up with worse hands here um, unless I know something about their personality. Um, a lot of strength has been shown here, especially the under-the-gun 4-bet, uh, basically a, a small 4-bet in a multi-way pot. So anyway, um, at the end of the day, uh, we shove and we get called by a couple players. It doesn't really matter how the board runs out. I mean, what we really need to assess here is the decision framework. It turns out somebody flopped a set and somebody flopped a straight for massive pop, but really it's, it's what's the decision that we should be making here with ace-king suited. Uh, honestly, I'm shocked to find out that these players had pocket eights and six seven suited, but these are hands that loose aggressive players will love to play hard. Uh, it appears that we just sort of stumbled into a balancing war between these two players, and we weren't given all of the chip stack sizes, so it's hard to do a full assessment there, but given that these were the hands, the shove with ace-king suited turned out to be a really good shove. Uh, the result wasn't good, but in this particular case, I guess it turned out to be a good shove. I do think the first time around with the under-the-gun raise, the under-the-gun plus-one re-raise, and a button call, I would likely just fold or shove here with 40 big blinds. Um, and for me, it's probably just going to be a shove. It could get me in trouble, uh, but in this particular case, I would guess uh, this action would get rid of everything except maybe the pocket eights. Um, since we only called the first time, we aren't going to get the same respect the second time. So, you know, when we shove the second time, it's harder for them to put us on a big hand because why would we have just called the first hand? Did we want to see a flop four-handed with a big hand? So I think we underrepresented our hand, which may have hurt our fold equity when we decided to shove the second time the betting uh, went around. Um, so anyway, I, I mean, you can go crazy thinking about the results. Uh, frankly, I think it's, it's probably a better scenario if we don't even consider what happened on the flop turn river. Um, just looking at a pre-flop, um, I guess if you just call the raise to 10K and close the action, you could see a flop. Uh, you might lose value if you hit, if you shove, and then they fold the flop, but you have protected your downside risk on flops like the one that we just had. So you could easily just check fold on a flop like this, leaving you about 10K and about 20 big blinds. All in all, I would have liked to, to yeah, I guess all in all, I would have liked to have just seen a shove the first time around if we were going to play this hand, especially if we think those players are pretty loose. If they're pretty tight, then I, I wouldn't even hate a fold here. Uh, again, with the, with the strength shown under the gun, raise, under the gun, plus one, re-raise, button call. I mean, I can see the rationale for the call the first time around and the five-bet shove, but it's, it's just sort of a weirdly played hand all around by several of the players. So I'm not sure if my comments helped at all. Uh, I am looking forward to hearing how others uh, broke this hand down. So once again, thank you, Doug. Appreciate the, appreciate the uh, hand scenario. Hey guys, Sivo here for the uh, Input in Rec Poker podcast. In this week's scenario, we have our player with ace-king suited under, uh, in the big blind, and there's a whole lot of action in front of him. Uh, real quick, the average starting stack is 32,000 chips. Uh, the big blind has 19,800. Uh, we've got a 50-chip ante with 250 500 chip blinds. Uh, let's go ahead and assume we're probably right around level six. Uh, so it's a little bit past early, not quite to the middle of the tournament. Um, I know for myself, I certainly would be looking for a double up uh, if that was my stack compared to the average. Uh, 
you know, is it's as of right now, it's going to cost twelve hundred and fifty chips just to get around the table one time, assuming a full table. And since this is the daily tournament, uh, you know, the blinds are either twelve or fifteen minutes long, so they're they're coming quick. Um, you know, we don't know the the buy in, but um, you know, in general, uh, the lower the buy in, and if there's um, bounties attached to the tournament or not, the more reckless the play is going to be as we're going to see what happens here. Um, anyway, under the gun player makes it 2000, which is a four X raise under the gun plus one now raises to 5,000. It folds to the button who calls our player looks at ace king suited in the big blind. There's, you know, almost 13,000 in the pot. There's 19,000, uh, 300 now in front of him, I guess, because he's got a 500 big blind in. Uh, and he decides, or our player decides to call. I think, A, this is, this is a mistake. I think this is a clear fold or shove situation. What I would be doing in this situation is, and we don't have any information on our other players. We don't know what their stack sizes are. We don't know their profiles, if they're loose or tight or, or reckless or, or what's happening. So I, we have to you know, maybe try and figure that out. And I'm not quite sure. Anyway, once again, I think it's a clear folder shove. Um, we need to double up. The pot's already big. Um, and like I said, what I would really be trying to do is decide what are the chances of the end of the gun player or the under the gun plus one player were holding aces or Kings. You know, a lot of tight players won't raise under the gun without aces, Kings, Queens, ace, King, uh, maybe jacks, um, in a kind of the same situation for under the gun plus one, he, he's really an early in, in that table, um, who puts in the third bet. Um, you know, I might be tempted to fold here just because I, I'm going to put one of those two players on a really big hand. Um, if I'm playing it though, I'm certainly not going to call with it. I'm just going to shove it. Uh, and hopefully you can, you know, for sure weed out the button, Hopefully, weed out the the uh, under the gun player and get heads up with under the gun plus one. Hopefully, maybe he's got the same hand, uh, ace king, or he's got queens, and you're going to flip for it. Um, anyway, but but we, he calls the action goes on. Now the under the gun player does something interesting. He puts in the fourth bet, makes it ten thousand. It's called by the under the gun plus one. And it's called by the button. Well, now you can you can certainly eliminate aces or kings from under the gun plus one and the button. Uh, you know, the button is really inconsequential in all of this um, until the flop comes, as we're going to see. Um, but boy, I, I you know I have a hard time thinking that the that the um, under the gun player doesn't have aces or kings. Now our player decides to shove. I think it's too late because now the pot is giant and you're just not going to get players to fold. And you're going to be, um, you know, all in in a multiple uh, way pot, which is exactly what happens. Something really interesting happens. So the under the gun player now decides to fold his hand. I can't imagine what that player is putting the fourth bet in under the gun and then folding to this pot. Um... I, I I don't know. I ace queen maybe. I I can't imagine it. But um, anyway, he that player folds. Uh, 
the under the gun plus one player now decides to call the button calls. You know, uh, everyone turns their cards over and we see under the gun plus one has pocket eights. Uh, the button's got seven, six suited. And uh, in our big blind hand is ace, king suited. Um, you know, typically this is the type of thing you only think, you know, you're only going to see this in the these lower level daily tournaments. Um, the flop comes out. Eight, nine, ten. So the <laughs> the uh, button flops a straight. The under the gun plus one flops a set. The run up goes ace jack, and uh, the button who is clearly just gambling wins a giant pot, and our big blind player is knocked out. Um, you know, assess you know assess the assess the play of, of everyone involved. Like once again, I think the 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 big blind just shoved too late. Um, I would have done it earlier. Maybe nothing changes um, except for that. Probably you get the button to fold, um, which now couldn't fold after you called ten thousand. Um, and if and you still would have lost because the eights uh, flopped set. Um, once again, I what the end of the gun player folded after putting the fourth bit in under the gun. I I couldn't tell you. Um, uh, pocket eights just figured he was good, and it's possible since you're just calling and then shoving. He's putting you on ace king, ace queen, something like that, and he's willing to take a flip with you. You know the action of the button. You know that player is just clearly there to gamble, and in this situation, the gamble paid off. Um, like I said, the, the, to me, the big mistake was, was made the first time the, the, the blind had the chance to act. Um, to me, that's where you put you, where you get it all in. And in best case scenario, everybody folds. My guess here is the eights was going to call you anyway, which would have beat you. So I don't know that the outcome would have been any different, but I do believe the time to shove it all in would have been the first opportunity, not the second. Uh, that's all for this week. Thanks everybody. Have a have a great day. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Andy Kaplan, Twitter, Andy S. Kaplan. Going to give this one a shot. I think for this uh, hand situation, it's more just kind of a weird hand that I think just runs kind of unlucky for Doug. I don't know that I see anything that, that really he did wrong. Um, by the time uh, it comes around to him, Looks like there's, what, 13,000 in the pot. He's got ace-king suited. I just think that's too good of a hand to fold in this situation. He's going to call nine big blinds. I think his implied odds are really good here. He's, he's, he's making a call, nine big blinds, to maybe win a really, really big pot if he flops well. Unfortunately, it doesn't turn out the way he probably wanted it to because then the uh, original razor under the gun... Um, raises it again. Um, it's called by two others. So by the time it comes back to him, according to my math, it looks like there's now 47,000 in the pot. He is uh, now having a problem where I think his pot odds really dictate that he needs to just move all in. And I think it's unfortunate the way it ro- runs out, um, but I don't know that he made any mistakes there. I think he's he's making a a, a call with really good implied odds. Try to see if he can see a flop. Um, win a lot of chips if he flops well and can probably get away from that. Unfortunately, it gets 
what four or five bet after that and it's just the, the the hand just goes absolutely crazy and i don't think there's anything he can do to prevent uh, the ultimate result so that's my thought i think bad luck but probably uh played the best it could have been greetings rec poker listeners this is taylor moss this week we have another hand from doug barons uh, but in a different tournament. So before we were in a Big Stack Avalanche, which is a $500 tournament. This one's a daily tournament. Uh, given it's a daily tournament, I'm going to assume a smaller buy-in and also weaker opponents that we're playing against. So in this hand, we have 20,000 in chips. The blinds are a 50-chip ante with 250 and 500 for the blinds. Um, we're in some preflop action, and I think it's very important to know the history of our opponents in this. So the under the gun opens to 2,000. Uh, this player has been on our left since we're in the big blind this hand, so this should be someone that we've been paying attention to, at least more closely than people, say, across the table from us. So we should have a fairly good read on this opponent. Um, they open to 4x or 4 big blinds, which seems incorrect. A lot of... Uh, Inexperienced players will make this raise not knowing that it's a mistake. Um, and then the under the gun plus one, who's two to our left, another person that we should be paying attention to, uh, raises to 5,000 or 10 big blinds. Uh, so with both of these players, we should be able to identify kind of what's the top end of their range and how wide is their range. Um, so clearly their range could be as high as aces, kings, queens, uh, but we need to know... Uh, how loosely they might be making these opens and raises. So is that under the gun plus one player trying to isolate the uh, under the gun open? If that's a possibility, they have a slightly weaker range and it makes our ability to call, raise, or anything else a little bit more viable. Uh, so then it folds around to the button where the button calls and then we're in the big blind with ace-king suited. <clears throat> So clearly we have a decision here. Um, definitely depends on the history like I was talking about before. If we think the under the gun is a weak player, if we think the under the gun plus one player might be making a play on the original open, I'm all for going all in here. I think we have to. Uh, the button I am not worried about and that is just dead chips in the pot in my mind. Uh, so a shove to 20,000 uh, makes it 18,000 more for the under-the-gun player to call, plus they have two players behind them that they have to worry about. That makes it extremely tough for the un that under-the-gun player to call. Um, I don't think they can call with anything less than queens in this spot. Um, they probably could fold queens if they're a good player, but they're not likely if they're a weak player. Then again, the under-the-gun plus one player has 15,000 chips that they would need to call. Um, again, they can't make this call light because they have the button behind. And then the button last act would make 15,000 to call. Again, very tough to make this spot given that they just called the initial raise. So definitely a good spot to try and squeeze and extract some value out of what I'm thinking are dead chips from the button. And applying pressure to both the under the gun and under the gun plus one player. All this would change if um, we have a different read on these under the gun players. Uh, if we're in a bigger buy-in tournament, 
uh, that under the gun plus one raise is definitely going to concern me and then I might be willing to fold. Although it's very tough to fold when we're below chip average, we finally get a premium hand and ace-king suited. Um, so it's a daily tournament, likely going to be uh, fast-moving blinds. We definitely have to just shove all in here, hope for the best with the flop if we get called. If we don't get called, just scoop up those chips and watch our chip stack grow. So, until next week, this is Taylor. Okay, well thanks guys. We're going to take another quick break right here, and then we're going to come back and hear from Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com. And also a late submission, we received some written comments from Mike Schneider with the Poker is Fun Tour. So after Jonathan, I'm going to be sharing Mike's thoughts with you as well. Thanks both you guys, and thank you to Running Aces. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Hello, this is Jonathan Little from PokerCoaching.com. Today we have what I believe is only a preflop hand. So, we're playing 250500 in a daily tournament, which could be soft, could be tough. Depends a lot on the buy-in and the composition of the player pool. We are playing with 19,800 chips, so only 40 big blinds. Average is 32. Again, average does not matter. All right, all action preflop. Okay. Under the gun opens to 2,000. Wow, four big blinds out of 35,000. Maybe that is a very strong range. Maybe it means nothing. Again, it depends on how weak the players in this particular daily tournament are. Some players 4x it with everything. Some players 4x it with exactly the nuts, so it's tough to say. Under the gun plus one, re-raises. Three bets to 5,000. So under the gun raises, under the gun plus one, three bets. All right, I'm not playing any hands when we get it back around to us. Button cold calls. Now I harped a little bit on the term smooth call in the previous episode here because smooth call and call mean exactly the same thing. Cold call and call actually mean different things. Cold call implies this is not the initial raiser. A cold call is way, way stronger than a regular call when there is a raise and a three bet because the cold caller has no money invested. So unless this player putting in 5,000 is particularly horrible, the button should have a really good range. All right, you're in the big blind with ace, king of hearts, and decide to call. No, definitely fold. Easy, easy fold preflop. When under the gun raises, and under the gun plus one, three bets, unless these players are just the worst, ace, king is going to be either flipping or really, really dominated. Now, maybe under the gun plus one is bluffing sometimes, but the bluffs are going to be like ace, queen, which you block, or ace, five suited, which you block. So you can count those out to some extent. I understand that you are rarely... Um, dominated because it's hard for your opponents to have aces or kings. But when you are, you're drawing really thin. And when you are getting it in quote unquote good, you're just flipping. So I think you have a pretty easy fold here. All right, gets back around to under the gun. They make it 10,000 under the gun and button call. I'm st I mean, I'm still just folding. You decide to go all in though. And I mean, to justify this, you just have to basically tell me that the, these players you're playing with are the worst. They do not comprehend hand values or they're just trying to give their money away. Now, there are certainly daily tournaments where the players are really, really, really bad, and they are doing their best to give their money away as fast as they can. 
So if these guys are gonna show up with Jack seven suited and ace Jack offsuit and ace three offsuit because they don't know what they're doing or they just want to lose, then yeah, clearly don't fold your hand. If I was playing this hand instead, if you tell me your opponents are lunatics, when it goes 2,000 to 5,000 call, I would instead in that spot go all in. Because picking up that 12,000 chips preflop is nice, and if you do happen to get called, whatever, there's 7,000 dead in the pot or something like that. So, I, so you could certainly justify shoving, but I, I would not cold call. I have almost no cold calling range ever, just because picking up whatever's in the pot immediately with almost your whole range, pretty much besides everything besides aces, is usually a pretty good result because you don't really want to get it in flipping. You'd rather just pick up the pot. So um, you do shove. Under the gun was just playing around. He folds. He probably had ace king. Under the gun plus one calls, button calls. All right. Assess all the action of all the players, specifically Doug. Okay, we did that. Just for FYI, the result of the flop was, okay, well, first off, the results of the flop is irrelevant. We don't care how the board ran out. All we really care is what did the players have, right? We want to know if they're showing up with actual good hands because they're competent or if they're showing up with just garbage because they don't like money. Now, in this hand, under the gun plus one had eights. So first off, that guy should have just called preflop. Don't three bet. Don't go all in. Don't call all in, et cetera. That's horrible. The button had seven six of hearts. Also horrible. Don't cold call a three bet when you have only... Um, 40 big blinds. That's clearly terrible. So this is good. Your opponents played really, really bad and you recognize that and you got it in fine. Um, you, I guess we're telling a bad beat story here because someone made a set and someone made a straight, but that is completely irrelevant. The way the board runs out does not matter. You want to look at how you are getting your money in. And here you actually got it in pretty good because that guy with seven, six of hearts is nearly dead. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, that was an interesting hand, mainly because your opponents are playing really poorly and it's very important for you to accurately assess the skill level of your opponents. Um, there's a chapter in one of my books, Excelling at No Limit Hold'em by Chris Moneymaker, where he really goes deep on this, discussing how players in small stakes, you know, $50 buy-in daily tournaments are usually not very good. And as you move up to like $200 games, sometimes you have find a mix of those players and some higher stakes players. Once you get to $500 tournaments and bigger, players start to become competent. You're not going to find someone going all in with seven, six of hearts too often in a $500 tournament for no reason, for example, right? And I was making the assessment we were playing against players who were actually trying to win. And instead we were playing with players who were trying to goof off. So maybe that's just a fault on me because I'm usually playing poker against players who are trying to win. But this time we were against players who are gambling. And it's great when you can play with players on a regular basis who do not mind losing money. And don't mind getting it in really, really bad. So good job getting it in great against these guys. But I probably would have just shoved preflop. Because notice, you would have much rather picked up this pop preflop by making the eights and the seven, six of hearts fold. Instead, they somehow got suckered in because someone, the under the gun re-raised to 10k. And that that uh, forced them to stick around, right? You would have so much rather than folded because then you just win the pot. You don't have to face this flip. Not having to face the flip would have been great, and you would have just won 12,000 chips. Although, let's get real. These players would have called your, uh, however many chips you had, uh, your 20,000 chip all in with pocket ace and seven six of hearts because they were looking to gamble. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with playing poker looking to gamble. Just realize you're going to lose in the long run, and that's okay. Everyone does not play games. Everyone do not play games for the same reason, right? Um, people either play games mainly for three reasons. One is to socialize. One is to push the boundaries of the game. You know, they want to run big bluffs, make big folds, 
They want to just see how bad they can get in and get lucky. And then the third type of player just tries to win. Um, typically, as you move up in stakes, you run into more players who are just trying to win. They don't care about socializing so much. They don't care about making hero calls. They just want to play well. And that's usually the type of player who I am trying to analyze poker for because in reality, the players who are there to socialize or try to push the boundaries don't really care about getting better. They just want to have a good time. And players like myself who are trying to win, their idea of a good time is winning. So anyway, that's going to be it. This has been Jonathan Little for PokerCoaching.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, here are the thoughts from Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour. Given your just under 20,000 chip stack, once that action folds around to you, I think you should just move all in first time here. I'm not a fan of calling off a quarter of your stack pre-flop and would happily try to win the chips now, which there are already 13,000 in the pot, if I'm counting correctly. Or at least narrow the field a bit so we're more hopefully ending up with Ace-King suited all in against another hand that is unlikely to have us dominated. Starting with under the gun plus one, I don't like his decision to re-raise from five to 10,000 and then fold for another 9,800 more, especially with all the other players in the pot. If he doesn't like his hand enough to call the last re-raise, he'd be doing himself better to have just called when the price was 5,000 total. Under the gun plus one, it's hard to say for sure without knowing how many chips him or the button have, but I can see his call of the re-raise to 10,000 being fine if he's well above average and doesn't want to move all in pre-flop with pocket eights. If he is anywhere close to 20,000 or so in chips, once the under the gun makes it 10,000, this is a spot where he has to either fold or move all in. Moving all in increases the chances he will end up heads up with the under the gun hand, which is what he should want if he doesn't have a large chip stack. If he has a huge chip stack, I think he played the hand fine at all junctures, given how many chips were in the pot already at each point when he had an option. I think the button should have folded preflop the first time he had an option to, but otherwise was essentially priced in at each additional spot of the hand. Okay, that's it. Thank you to Jonathan. Thank you to the rec players. Thank you to Doug Behrens for submitting the audio. Thank you to Running Aces, our official sponsor. Next week, we're going to be covering a hand submitted by Taylor Moss, which is a very interesting hand. And as a reminder, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment, tell your friends. If you want to wear a Rec Poker podcast patch, uh, just let me know. I'll send you one out. No charge for that at all. If you have other feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations, reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or email me at stevefredland at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Take care.